Welcome to Building the Bridge, connecting parents and educators around online learning. I'm your host, Dr. Wendy Oliver, Chief Learning Officer for Edison Learning. Each week, this podcast will present targeted, practical strategies for both teachers and parents to ensure we are all on the same page in successfully navigating the digital education world together. Thanks for joining me on this journey. And now, please enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another exciting episode of Building the Bridge. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Christina Broderick, founder and CEO of Ignite EDU. Christina is a licensed social worker, a psychotherapist, a certified school social worker, and an adjunct professor who is passionate about ensuring mental health and that it becomes a priority for all. She has worked across the entire lifespan from elementary age students to the older adult population, has provided mental health counseling and support for hundreds of middle school and high school students in individual and group settings, and has worked in K-12 education settings since 2012. When not working with clients or teaching students, one of Christina's passions is serving as a volunteer mentor coach for a national nonprofit that supports the economic mobility of first-generation college students. As you can hear in just this summary of Christina's bio, her expertise has great relevance to the challenges all stakeholders have navigated in our K-12 schools, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic when trauma and mental health have been very much in focus. As we continue our series here on social emotional learning and mental health, it's great to have Christina join us on Building the Bridge. Christina, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have our talk today. Christina, you've described that your passion for the work you do stems from firsthand frustrations with the gap that exists in foundational mental health concepts and skills for all. Can you tell us about the gap you've experienced and seen? I recognize that mental health literacy, right, so understanding the concepts, skills, uh, strategies related to mental health, we're not being taught at all to students or being taught in very small spaces. So what I was seeing were students who were running away from me to go throw up in trash cans because they developed really unhealthy coping and eating habits. Uh, Students who were talking to me in mid-sentence would get dizzy about too faint. Uh, Or students who would break down in the middle of a 300-person lecture hall because they weren't processing the trauma and the different situations that were going on in their own personal lives. So because most students weren't receiving any type of information regarding mental health, or it wasn't being taught in a practical, proactive, and sustainable way, they were really suffering, right? It was this backwards approach that I recognized in which we were waiting for either a crisis or a really outward uh, red flag that said, I need help, in which students would then be able to learn about mental health. And again, I thought it was just such a backwards approach that it wasn't really being integrated into the education curriculum for all students to be able to learn, build, and strengthen their mental health foundation along their educational journey. And so for clarification, Christina, the examples that you gave, to me, that sounds like prior to the pandemic. Yes. What have you seen since the pandemic or have you had the opportunity to to be in buildings or to work with school leaders? So when the pandemic started, I was actually still working in the school systems. At that time, I was in a middle school supporting about 
200 to 300 students there when the pandemic started. What we saw was during the pandemic, students were faced with a lot of fear and or anxiety about being in their home consistently, uh, whether it was because of what was going on in their home, in their home environment, and just the unsureness about the uh, trajectory of this pandemic. We saw a lot of the fear, a lot of anxiety, um, and a lot of isolation, right? A lot of social relationships happen in school, happen in the school building. So a lot of students we saw were also facing isolation. So a lot of the conversations I was having with students, uh, having with our staff, having with parents, was about just different ways to help students feel connected during the pandemic as well as being able to identify signs and uh, symptoms related to anxiety, depression, other types of health challenges we started to notice showing up within the student population. Our listeners include both educators and parents, and I think it obviously makes sense that when the pandemic started, you saw students experiencing anxiety and isolation. And as you said, you know, the trajectory of the pandemic caused a lot of that. I'm sure that there are different things that either educators or parents may or may not see about the mental health challenges that students face and options in addressing them. You spoke about fear and anxiety that students have and issues that may happen within their household that that possibly were there before the pandemic, but may have been enhanced during the pandemic. What would you communicate to educators and to parents about the steps we can take in making a plan to conquer mental health? First, I would say to really understand the issue, right? Mental Health America is coming out and stating that we are in a youth mental health crisis right now. One survey states that over 90% of students uh, that were surveyed reported negative mental health outcomes due to the pandemic youth ages 11 to 17, more likely than any other age group to score for moderate to severe depression during the pandemic. So understanding how dire the situation is right now is extremely important, right? I'm a firm believer of once you understand the data, understand statistics, you can move forward with more intention, which leads to my second point of being intentional. I've seen some places where they may haphazardly implement a program or try something, but they're not really understanding how it connects to their demographic of students. So really being intentional about the work that you're doing, whether it's as a parent, a lot of stuff pops up on social media. We get really excited to try something, but it may not actually be what's best for our student or within the school system. So really being intentional, understanding the issue, and then moving forward with that clarity. Next is also taking a holistic approach. A lot of times things happen in silos, right? They're just happening in separate pieces, uh, but students don't exist in silos. It's all connected. So taking a holistic approach, really bringing in community supports, really working with each other. It's not just falling on the shoulders of the counselors, but it's really something that everybody within the school, everybody within the home is really taking some action for. And then the last is being uh, is having some sustainable and approaches, as well as being consistent. Um, mental health is always there, right? Our mental health is always there, not just when we have a an issue. So making sure we are integrating some sustainable practices, right? So if you're choosing mindfulness in the home, we're going to start practicing mindfulness, doing that consistently, right? What's a sustainable way? Is it every night at dinner? We're all practicing mindful eating. Uh, if you're integrating it into the school system, 
how is each class starting off, no matter if it's social studies, science, or gym, everybody's integrating mindfulness. So really about having a sustainable and consistent approach to the different practices that you'll be implementing. I heard you give some very specific objectives to help focus on mental health. And I think that's fantastic. That, that's what I believe that our listeners, our parents and educators really need to hear, uh, specifically to be intentional, sustainable, and holistic. One of the things that I heard you say that is critical is not to operate in silos. And that's a lot of what this podcast is about. It's, it's, it's building that bridge between educators and parents. And I would ask you, what strategies do you have where teachers and parents, how can they work together to break down those silos? My experience, right, and as I mentioned, I worked in elementary school, middle school, high school. There's a lot of talking at each other and not talking with each other. So if you think of a parent-teacher conference, it's just a lot of the teacher talking at the parent about the student or the parent talking at the teacher about maybe a frustration, and they're not really talking with each other. They're not really listening with the intent to learn about each other's situations, um, understanding the student better. So I think that would be a huge, huge starting point is really breaking down the communication that is happening between each other, as well as I'm a big, big advocate of forming like affinity groups. So having consistent groups of select teachers, select parents, and select students who are meeting consistently to talk together, problem solve together about the culture of the school environment, about what parents maybe are feeling frustrated about, or what students maybe are would like to start to implement in really bringing everybody together. That it should not just be the school comes up with something and just tells everyone to do X, Y, and Z, that input is really coming in from all different sides, all facets, and everyone is working together to integrate new strategies, new skills, but also just understanding each other better. So I think entering into a shared space together of support for the students, really collaborating together, provides that type of wraparound support that's really needed. You're listening to Building the Bridge, presented by Edison Learning. Stay tuned for more online learning tips and strategies. Christina, I want to go back to a statistic that you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. especially as we reflect on the strategies that you just mentioned for teachers and parents working together. Would you repeat for our audience the statistic about students from ages 11 to 17 and uh, the 90% of survey respondents that how they scored? That's really powerful. Yeah, it is. Um, So over 90% of students that were surveyed, it was about over 750 students that completed a survey. Over 90% of them reported negative mental health outcomes due to the pandemic. And then uh, Mental Health America did their own data collection, and they found that youth ages 11 to 17 have been more likely than any other age group to score for moderate to severe symptoms of anxiety and depression. And so as you think about those statistics and we talk about teachers and parents working together to complement one another and supporting students, why is this important to focus on when we talk about a student's academic success? Will you talk about that a little bit for our audience? So schools, right, and education spaces rightfully push academic performance, getting grades, getting certain test scores, right, uh, learning the information in the education space. However, 
if a student can't perform because they're having breakdowns in class or they struggle with test anxiety, right? So every time a test comes up, they are either having really strong outward behaviors that's interrupting the test environment or internally having a really hard time being able to even focus on that test. They haven't learned strong conflict resolution skills. So they're having conflicts with their peers that's disrupting their learning. So all of it is connected. And if we even think of ourselves as adults, we can't show up to work if our brain is elsewhere, right? If we can't perform well in a presentation, we can't perform our tasks well if we're stressed and and worried about something else that's happening within our own personal lives. The same goes with students. A lot of times students identify as just being a student, but there's so much more than that. There's so much more than just being a student. So in order to recognize that and uh, to honor that, it means that we also have to help them understand what's going on with themselves. A lot of schools, uh, programs don't spend a lot of time on students becoming more self-aware, understanding themselves better. And when they can do that and we help them do that work, they can actually show up better in the academic places, right? So I think of all the research, for example, on mindfulness that they've done on urban male youth, or they've done on homeless students, or they've done on just a myriad of different populations, all which says that when students are able to learn and practice mindfulness, they actually do better on their academics. They show up better in the classroom. They, the retention rates are lower. The attendance rates are higher. So all of these challenges that we've been seeing in the education space A lot of times it really comes down to working with students on their mental health. If they are more mentally well, they can show up better in their academic courses and within the academic space. To close, I think we have a great opportunity to express the urgency of these issues because our listeners have an opportunity to really make a difference through the right actions. What are some of the risks, Christina, when we don't properly plan to address mental health? It just continues getting worse. The stats already are pretty bad. Like, as I said earlier, we are in a youth mental health crisis. So if we just continue to take a passive stance to mental health, our students will continue to suffer. So being able to move from awareness to action, intentional action, will benefit students as a whole, as well as the opportunity for them to not just have academic success, but life success. Christina, thank you again for being part of the show. I love how passionate you are about this topic. I can hear it in your voice. (laughs) I can certainly detect it, obviously, in your, your resume and all the work that you're doing in this area. But thank you so much for what you're doing for students and for teachers and for parents. Thank you so much for having me. It's really taking a collective effort for all of us to really make a difference for the students who deserve our help. Listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Christina's work, you can visit igniteedu.net, I-G-N-I-T-E-D-U dot N-E-T. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I hope you'll enjoy our full series on social emotional learning, including a number of recent episodes discussing this topic from all angles. And please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or through the Edison Learning email list to stay up to date on many more episodes to come. Thanks for listening to this episode of Building the Bridge. I hope today's insights and strategies will prove valuable as you support great online learning this week. 
Be sure to visit edisonlearning.com for many more resources to support high quality 21st century learning, including a comprehensive suite of more than 150 online courses for grades six through 12 and much, much more. Join me again next week for more tips to connect parents and educators around best practices for online learning.